0: You'll remember that Revelation chapter six covers the uh, the seals. There is a scroll, and the scroll apparently unfolds God's plan for the end times. There are different people who speculate on what that scroll is or whatever, and I, but I think I, I think by the way it's used, it's clear that it is just a. It it is an explanation of God's plan for end times. And at the beginning of 6, there is concern because it's time to open the scroll. But who can do that? And they look around among the elders and the angels. Who can open it? Well, there's only one who is worthy to open the scroll, and that is the Lamb who gave his life for this plan, for this purpose. And so the Lamb begins to uh, break the seals. Chapter 6 takes us through six of the seals. As he breaks one, something happens. As he breaks the second seal, something happens. It goes all the way through to the seventh seal. And at that time, John pauses. He, uh, he, it, 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 he uses what we might call an interlude. Instead of showing us the seventh seal, John goes to chapter 7, and he describes the 144,000, those who are witnessing for Christ during the time of tribulation. And as you know, there is some debate over who those 144,000 are, but for our purposes tonight, it's just important to know that they are uh, witnessing for, they are uh, spreading the gospel, they're witnessing for the gospel of Christ. 144,000, whether that's an actual number or a representation, for our purpose tonight is not important, it's just that there is a Christian influence Spreading the gospel during the time of tribulation. All right, And we're introduced to all of that in chapter 7. Then when we get to the end of chapter 7, the interlude is over. And John returns to his vision. And chapter 8 opens with the seventh seal. Okay? Now let me, uh, let me show you how the seals and trumpets and bulls work because while I was trying to figure out the best way to explain their relationship, a picture came to mind and I'm not sure if I can convey it well. So let me try and let's see what happens. I spend a lot of time working and playing on my computer. Now, if there, are, if there is a file that I'm looking for in my computer I can start with hard drive letter C. I, can, I click on C and that says you're going to look at your hard drive. Now when I look at that hard drive there are all these folders. I can click on documents and that's going to open up a whole bunch of more folders. In those folders I can find the one called sermons. I can click on sermons. And that's going to open up a whole bunch of series. Within my series, I can click I can open a specific series to this we're currently in the series called God with us. I click on God with us and then I get four sermons. Okay? So I've gone from I've gone from my computer that lists the the various drives. I've gone from that through a process to where I got to this Sunday's Sermon on Love within the series called God is with us. Right Now, all of that, the sermon, the series, sermons, my documents, drive C, is all on that one computer it's all under my computer. That's how we understand the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. It is not let's go through the seven seals and we're done with seals. Now let's start the seven trumpets and we're done with the trumpets and then let's start the seven bowls. It is more like we're clicking on the folders and opening subfolders. So when you get to the seven seals there are six folders seal 1 seal 2 seal 3 6 seal 6 now when I open seal 7 within that folder there are seven new folders the seven trumpets when I get to the seventh trumpet folder I open it and that is the seven bowls. I say all of that to say that all of the bowls make up the last trumpet and all of the trumpets make up the last seal. So really all of the the largest portion of the book of Revelation really is the seals because we're just about to enter into studying many chapters of bowls and trumpets but remember that's all part of the seventh seal. Does that make sense or have I just made that completely confusing? We good? Okay. This is gonna take us weeks to get through the trumpets and bowls so the whole time we're doing that remember that this is the last seal of the plan. The plan has finally been, the last seal has been broken, which means the scroll has been opened. And as it is opened, then we understand the trumpets and bowls. Cool? All right. So let's see where we go tonight. Chapter eight. And we're going to chase a few rabbits tonight. We're not going to get real far into the chapter, probably. Um, But it's okay to chase a rabbit if he's got meat on him. So we're going to do that a couple of times. Chapter 8, verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. When he opened the seventh seal... There was silence. It's very interesting because until then, until this point, the story through Revelation has had a lot of noise. There's been thunder and lightning, and there's been there's been uh, singing, and there's been a lot of talking, and there's been uh, you know the elders have said their thing, and the angels have said their thing, and the. Uh, uh, the, the four creatures even have said, "Holy, holy, holy, there's all kinds of wonder, all kinds of wonderful sounds going on. And now there's silence. The seventh seal begins the worst time of the tribulation. The seventh seal, leads to what will be the harshest judgment on the earth and on man. And so when they open the seventh seal and they see what's coming, there is, there is a silence that comes as a part of reverence. There's a silence that I think comes as a part of uh, just, just taking seriously what they're about to see. I remember the first time that that we saw uh, the movie that came out, was it the early 90s, the the movie about Jesus' crucifixion? Passion. Passion. The first time we saw that, through the movie, the, the theater was silent. And then even at the end of the movie, there was silence. People just kind of sat for a few minutes, and when it was time to leave, everybody got up and left quietly. I remember that vividly, because this was not a church setting, this was, this was a regal, whatever we used to call the Barney Theater, but that's another story, um, regular theater. But there is something that happens to us when we see see horrible things happening. There's a sincerity that causes us just to be quiet. They were talking today about the the streets in Washington, D.C. as as the uh, motorcade was driving. And they said the crowd was totally silent. It's a way that we deal with difficult things that we see. I think that's what's happening in heaven. All of heaven knows that the worst judgment on man is about to happen. And there is just this terribly awkward and terribly painful silence. But that silence is represented in Scripture, where th- there's more, there are more than there are many places in Scripture where that silence is a part of God's judgment. Somebody has uh, Psalm seventy-six. Psalm seventy-six, verses eight and nine. Whoever has that, would you read that for us? Do what? Oh, he's looking it up. Yeah, oh yeah, looking. That's all right. Psalm 76, verses 8 and 9. The rest of you who have scriptures, I'm coming to you real soon, so you can get yours ready. From heaven declare judgment. The earth stands in awe and is quiet. When God arose to execute judgment and to deliver all the... Even in the book of Psalms, it refers to this event and says when God arose to bring judgment, everything was silent. Habakkuk 2, 20. Anybody have Habakkuk? That's a fun one. 2 and 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all be The Lord is in his holy temple. Something's about to happen. So let all the earth keep silence, because what we're about to see is is incredible, and it's amazing. Zephaniah, I know there are two that are very similar, so this this one is Zephaniah 1-7. Be silent before the Sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those He has invited. The day of the Lord is near, so let's be quiet. It's a, it's a frightening phrase, really, because the day of the Lord is a phrase that's used in Scripture to talk about that time when God will bring judgment on the earth. Zechariah, that was Zephaniah. Now this is Zechariah, 10, uh, ver, chapter 2, verse 13. Be still before the Lord. Be still before the Lord. That word means to be quiet. Be still before the Lord because he's about to do something. So we see through, through the Old Testament references to this time when there is silence. And I, I found it interesting that uh, it said there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And we say, well, there's no time in heaven. So how do they say there's silence in heaven for half an hour? Remember that John is still on the island of Patmos. He is seeing these things. But he's still on the island of Patmos. He is still in the realm of time. So as John is checking his Apple Watch, he sees that it's 30 minutes. There's no time in heaven, so they're not counting 30 minutes. It's a different experience for the heavenly beings. But from John's experience, who is writing about his experience, it was silence for half an hour. That kind of preparation tells us that something is about to happen that's pretty major. Verse 2. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God. It's interesting that the word thee is there. Because the definite article says, I saw the seven who stand before God. Seven may be symbolic. It doesn't matter at this point. But what's interesting is there are the angels who stand before God. Some angels come and go to heaven. They're messengers these are the ones who stand before God. It it almost says these are a special class of angels. And by the way, as we study angels in Scripture, we know that there are rankings of angels. They have different purposes, and there's almost like a military order of angels. These are the angels who apparently are always in God's presence, (coughs) there to serve Him in some capacity the seven angels who stand before God. And seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. Now, we don't, know, we don't know what these trumpets were like, but it says that the seven, trumpets, the seven angels who stood before God received trumpets. Trumpets play a role in Scripture, uh, play an important role. Just for fun, let's play a game. When you think of a trumpet or trumpets in Scripture, what comes to mind? All right. Gabriel blew his horn. All right. Yes, yes, and the name of that just flew out of my head. Uh, so far, thank you. Anything else come to mind about trumpets? The army. They were, they were used for signals. Yes. Yeah. that's right even even in what we would now consider modern military they use they use the trumpets for signals and they did back then as well in the book of uh, Numbers chapter 10 you can find three specific uses for trumpets Um, one is it was used in the military was to say hey guys it's time to fight let's let's start this war Um, it was also used to Tr- to, to get the congregation together. When you heard the trumpet, you knew that it was time to to come together. And then the trumpet was also used to announce the um, the entrance of the king. king is coming. All right. And that's just in the book of Numbers chapter 10. We see all three of those things. Um, you remember um, Joshua? Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, right? They walk around, and then after they walk around seven days, seven times, all that, then they blow the trumpets and the walls come tumbling down. God uses the trumpet in that case for victory. Um, You can can jump forward to, um, well, before we go to the New Testament, here is uh, the trumpet sounded on Mount Sinai when the law was given. A trumpet sounded. Trumpets were blown when the king was anointed in 1 Kings chapter 1. Um, And the story of Jericho is found in Joshua. Zephaniah chapter 1 uh, talks about the trumpet will will, will blast on the day of the Lord. Zephaniah 1 verses 14 through 16 connects the day of the Lord and the trumpet. Remember the day of the Lord is when he comes in judgment. So that's this. So, all the way back in the Old Testament, Zephaniah, there's a connection to the trumpets and the day. But in the New Testament, you remember uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 when the last trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will rise. Uh, Same thing in 1 Thessalonians that with a trumpet, Christ returns and we meet him in the air. So, the trumpet. Is, it plays an important part in the day of the Lord, in the rapture, in all these end times. So we have these angels who receive trumpets, but they don't play them right away. They receive them, and then comes this angel in verse 3. He stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he's given much incense to offer. Um, the golden censer, a censer is... Especially back then, it's, it's fancy now, but back then it was basically just a bowl. And you could put coals in the bowl and you put uh, incense on top and as the incense burns it makes this uh, aromatic smoke. It was used in worship. Um, this is a very rough drawing of the tabernacle and then eventually the temple. Very rough. It's it's not to scale. It doesn't show the whole courtyard, so don't anybody jump on me. But very rough drawing of the tabernacle and then the temple. The idea is this, that there is the courtyard where uh, there is an altar. Sacrifices are made on a regular basis. People can come to bring their sacrifices. The priests can make uh, those sacrifices on an altar here. Beyond the courtyard, there is the holy place. The holy place only a priest can go into the holy place. In the holy place, there are three pieces of furniture. There's the lampstand. There is the table of bread. We call it the table of showbread. Now, it's interesting. Remember when Jesus came? You can find this in the Gospel of John. You can find both of these. Jesus said, "I am the light." of the world. He also said, I'm the bread of life. The holy place is a picture of Jesus in very important ways. So there are those two pieces of furniture and then there is the altar of incense. Each morning and each evening a priest comes through the courtyard, he gets some coals, some burning coals from the brazen altar where they sacrifice animals. He gets coals and he brings them into the holy place to the altar of incense where he burns the incense. While he's burning the incense the smoke is rising to God. It's a symbol of the people's prayers rising to God. As he's doing that, there are people in the courtyard, and really the courtyard surrounds this part. And there are people throughout the courtyard who are praying while he symbolizes their prayers with that smoke going up in the, in, in the incense of the holy place. All right. Now, the Holy of Holies is that special place where only the high priest can go. And even he can only go one time a year on the Day of Atonement. And in the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant. Above the Ark of the Covenant is the place between the two cherubs where they believed God literally resided. It's called the the Mercy Seat. They believe that he literally lived right there in between two golden cherubs over the Ark of the Covenant. So that's the Holy of Holies. But what I wanted you to see is the holy place. The priest goes in each day and each evening, burns incense as a symbol of the prayers of the people. That is what uh, uh, Zacharias was doing, by the way. Uh, these priests, well, they take turns, kind of like our deacon of the month. They had the priest of the month, it oversimplified, obviously. But it happened to be Zacharias' time to be the guy who got to go in and do the, the burning of the incense. And it was while he was serving that he finds out, "Hey, old man, you're about to have John the Baptist and John the Baptist is going to make the way for Jesus." And you know the whole story where uh, they don't believe that and they kind of get in trouble with God and it turns into a whole thing. But he is the guy who was going into the holy place. He was, he was burning the incense, making the, the symbol of the prayers of the people. And so that's what, that's what we're describing here. Now there's an angel who comes to the heavenly version of that altar. And this angel is given a, a golden censer and a bunch of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. Uh, Don't misunderstand that word saint. The Bible does not teach that normal human beings become superhuman beings by doing enough good things and that they receive sainthood. In Scripture, the word saint is used for believers. You and I have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ, by... um, uh, by grace through faith we have received righteousness in Jesus Christ and therefore we are the holy ones we are the saints so don't misunderstand that word when the bible talks about saints it's talking about believers and so this is the prayer of all i think all saints of all times this is this is the prayers you remember we say prayers are answered yes, no, or wait? I think a lot of times these are the wait prayers that have been sitting there until the right time. All these people have been praying, God, save us. God, God uh, bring justice. God, do something in this evil world so that your followers are... Um, are justified, in, in other words, so that the, the, the evil ones receive their just punishment. And the martyrs are uh, defended in that way. Do something, God. Remember last time in chapter 6 we read, as they said, how long? I think this is all those prayers. Waiting, 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 waiting. And so this, uh, this angel now presents those prayers. In other words, now is the time that those prayers finally get answered. And how is he going to answer them? Verse 4, the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar. Remember I told you that the, the priest would come in, he'd, he'd get the hot coals from the big altar outside then he bring into the altar of incense all right now in this story the angel in the holy place goes to the big altar and not just enough a few coals to burn the incense you don't need many now it says he filled his bowl full of fire full of the coals from the uh, from the altar verse 5 again the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth and there were peals of thunder rumblings flashes of lightning and an earthquake you see the answers of the, the prayers are finally being answered God how long how long how long God says now and that angel takes the uh, the, the fire from the heavenly altar and throws that fire down onto the ground. And when he does, it just it, the place goes nuts. Thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and even an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. Now that that now the time has come I believe what's happening now is we are moving from the first half, the first three and a half years of tribulation. I think the seventh seal opens now the last half of the tribulation, three and a half years that they call the Great Tribulation, the worst of God's punishment and judgment on the earth and mankind. So this is happening over a long period? Correct, yes, and I can show, I'll show you that, not tonight, but later, one of the trumpets, when you look at it carefully, one of the trumpets takes a few months. Verse, uh, uh, I'm sorry, where are we? Uh, 7, the first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. What we're going to see in these first few trumpets, tonight we're going to, I think we are, it's 732, I think we're going to look at three trumpets tonight. And all three of those deal with nature. They deal with the, the vegetation on the earth, they deal with salt water and, and uh, ocean life, and then fresh water. So the first three trumpets deal with nature. Actually, the first four or five trumpets deal with nature, with ecology, with, um, uh, with the world itself. It's not till the latter trumpets that it actually affects humankind directly. So the first trumpet takes out vegetation. Imagine one-third of the trees. And by the way, the word tree here usually, although not always, usually refers to fruit trees. Very well could be a reference to food supply. One-third of all the trees are burned up one-third, and this is not a third of a country, this is a third of the the world. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. So imagine what that's going to do to the world now when uh, folks folks don't have much of a food supply. Also, I kind of thought, I. I I'm playing with my imagination, and let me be very very clear to tell you this. this is coming from my imagination this next few little bit here, okay, But you remember in chapter six how chapter Six ended. It ended with people who are diving into holes in the ground they're 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 uh, getting into caves, and they're saying uh Just let a big boulder fall on me and kill me you know, so I can get this over with. This is scary stuff. They're they're so afraid. They finally, at the end of chapter 6, they they talk about, and this is the evil people, they talk about the wrath of the Lamb. So they know that this punishment is coming from God. And when we left them, at the end of chapter 6, they were hiding in caves under boulders. Then there's 30 minutes of silence. If you're hiding in a cave, you're hiding under a boulder, and all the chaos stops, everything's quiet. For 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I think they probably are thinking, okay, it's over. I can come out and see what's going on." The first five seals were terrible and awful and scary, and they had reason to hide. But I'm wondering if during that 30 minutes of silence, perhaps they kind of stepped back out of their protection. They're breathing. They're looking around at the chaos that was caused from the first five seals, and then all of a sudden, when they're out of their safe zones, here comes fire from heaven. So dramatic that it burns up a third of the earth, and that, that means vegetation. Burns up a third of the trees, burns up all the green grass. There's probably other dormant grass that's still there, but burns up all the green grass. What, 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 might that, what might have caused that? Does it, 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 it sounds weird, doesn't it, that there's hail and fire mixed with blood. Ugh. There are a lot of options, a lot of possibilities on how God might have done something like this. Um, and let me be real careful to say that this is obviously a supernatural event, so there may not be a scientific explanation. And I'm okay with that. However, many of the things that God did in Scripture and throughout history, he did use his own law of physics to make them happen. And so could this be a supernatural cause of a natural reaction? Let me, perhaps, maybe, when the angel throws down the fire down to the earth, it says there are peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and a terrible earthquake. Something from the sky comes down and causes an atmospheric reaction that creates a terrible earthquake, the last part of verse 5. When there is a terrible earthquake, we understand that there is quite often, volcanic reactions. If the earthquake is bad enough, we could see how that might cause terrible um, volcanic reactions. If that volcanic, if those volcanic reactions were strong enough, it could spew the, the lava uh, actually into the atmosphere. Now you've got you've got lava, fire, in the atmosphere which causes the atmosphere to react with thunderstorms which brings hail so you've got hail, and you've got fire, and all of that is lava red with a, the, the image of blood coming in the mix of all of that. I don't know if that's what it will be, but it very well could be something like that, that God uses supernatural power to cause natural reactions that are so overwhelming that it's, nothing, that it's like nothing that anyone's ever seen. Another author suggests that it very well could be that what we're seeing here is that God and, um, in his power directs the earth through the tail of a comet. You know, Halley's comet comes so close every 50 years that it, it wouldn't be that big of a deal for God to just kind of Nick the earth a little bit and the earth goes right through that tail imagine what that would be like all of those gases and fire coming all over and bits and pieces of frozen material that would come through our atmosphere if we were to experience that you could see fire and hail and just all kinds of chaos and who knows that's coming just for fun oh, and by the way It's important for us to know that a lot of revelation is first found in the Old Testament. So Joel chapter 2 verse 30, spend some time there if you want to. Joel chapter 2 verse 30 connects fire with blood on the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the day of judgment. And Joel describes all the way back then, he describes the day where there will be fire with blood on the day of the Lord. Now, John says this is what's happening on that first angel blows his trumpet and we get the fire and the blood and the hail and it's all the day of the Lord. Now, the second trumpet. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. Betty, I'm going to suggest that that might be that meteor, that might, and, and, and since it actually lands, I guess it would be a meteorite, or maybe even an asteroid. We hear, every few years, we hear the smart people, the scientists and physicists and all those people, tell us that one of these days there's going to be a big asteroid that's going to collide with the earth and it's going to cause terrible chaos. What if? And by the way, an asteroid is one of many bodies under the umbrella that is called meteorite. What if a meteorite the size of an asteroid? By the way, notice as well, it doesn't say a mountain fell, it says something like a mountain. So what if this is a heavenly body, an asteroid, big enough to be a mountain? Makes its way through our atmosphere. As it comes through the atmosphere, it's so big it doesn't get destroyed. It's so big that it brings all of that fire and, and uh, gases and all that stuff that it would have all over it as it comes through the atmosphere and it lands in the ocean. It happens so, it's so big, and there's so much calamity that it causes tremendous tsunamis. That makes sense. If you think about something that big, big splash, big tsunamis, big tsunamis wipe out a third of the ships in the world. Something like 10,000 ships are gone with all their cargo it talks about the sea is filled with blood but in the very same breath it says a third of the ocean creatures are killed. Could those two things be related? When you kill that many critters in a violent death, reckon maybe there would be a lot of blood in the ocean. The second trumpet then takes out the seas. And I don't believe this is one, it does say the sea, but you and I use that phrase in its singular form to mean all the oceans. We do that sometimes. I, I think this is all of the oceans of the world, a third of them are, de- are destroyed, damaged. You say, well, how can that be if it lands in one? I can, I can show you and you can figure it out for yourself too. When you look at a globe, they're all actually connected. You know, all of the major oceans are are, are connected. So one gets contaminated and blowed up. (laughs) You can imagine it's going to affect all of them. A third of the oceans are are, uh, affected. Verse 10, the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers, and on the springs of water." We talked about this uh, sometime recently. You know that a a star, a literal star, is bigger than the earth. So a star itself really wouldn't fall to the earth. But he does what all of us do. Every Every heavenly body that we can see at night we call a star, whether it's really a star or not. And when there's a meteor, we call it a falling star, right? I think that's what's happening here. I think that the difference is in, in trumpet two you have a meteorite, which was an asteroid probably, and it it actually <coughs> hit the earth. In trumpet three, it's a meteor. The difference is it doesn't land without breaking apart. It comes through the atmosphere and breaks apart, so that one piece goes to the Mississippi River, another piece goes to the Brazos River, another piece goes to the Nile River, another piece goes to the Yangtze River. I don't know. Amazon, Amazon River. Yeah, there you go. There you go because it breaks apart while it's in the atmosphere and so it affects the fresh water. The third angel blew his trumpet. A great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of water. The name of the star is wormwood. Now that word wormwood is um, it's a word that means, it means bitter or, um, or poison um it uh from that word golly i wish i had uh i wish i had that there is a liquor that is named after this very word ans, ansith anyway there you go something like that asmith something like that it's it's it's, it's a, a liquor and it is illegal to make in many countries because it is so toxic. Um, and that is the, that's the word, that's the Greek word for this wormwood. It's a, it's a plant, it's, it's, it's very bitter, and uh, a little bit makes you sick, and a lot makes you dead. <laughs> now that's a little bit scary, isn't it? Absinthe is the name of that uh, of that liquor. A- A-B-S-I-N-T-H-E, Absinthe. Um, that's scary. It is. It's a plant. It looks a lot like our ragweed, believe it or not. Um, and and a little bit could be used. Uh, for, for the bitter herb uh, that represents the hardship that you go through in life, um, but, it, but, but very much at all, and it, it can poison the water source. You, you even hear about that in the Old Testament, there's references to wormwood in the Old Testament um, that talks about the bitter waters that God makes clean, that God purifies. Uh, that he referenced to the fact that he can bring life out of death. All right, So that's, that's what the the emphasis on the name being wor- wormwood, it means that it's poison. And so it poisons all the waters. A third of the waters become wormwood and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Uh, the, the, the water source is poison. All right, So the first three trumpets Vegetation, a third of the vegetation, gone. A third of the ocean and ocean life, gone. A third of the fresh water, gone. Now imagine what the world is going to be like, what life is going to be like with a third of the food source, a third of the water, drinking water, uh, and a third of uh, sea life all of a sudden taken away. You would think, you would think that since at the end of chapter 6, they acknowledged God is doing this, which means they do believe that there is a God. And they know that he's punishing them because of their lack of belief. They get that at the end of chapter 6. They also have those 144,000 that are telling them the truth about Jesus. Jesus you would think that when they hear the gospel and they know they're being punished for not accepting the gospel, you would think that they would turn and believe. But Revelation says that most continue to refuse. They continue in their unbelief. Why? John 3 tells us why. You know John 3.16. One, one of the drawbacks of having a very famous verse in a chapter is that most of us neglect the rest of the chapter. If you continue in John 3 after verse 16, Starting at 17, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. How do you hear the gospel? You know God is punishing you for not accepting. How do you still refuse? Because... The people love the darkness, and they don't want to come to the light. If they come to the light, they have to confess and repent, and their pride won't let them do it. What was the first, very first sin? It was pride. It wasn't the apple. The apple was was the symptom of the disease. The enemy said, if you eat that, you'll be like God. Well, I deserve to be like God. It's interesting that at in the beginning, what got humanity was pride, and in the end, what gets humanity is pride.